awesome date, June 7th, 2008. Awesome topic, Bacano. This is the Awesome Cast. Hi folks, we're the Awesome Cast. I'm Basil. I'm Eric. I'm nobody. And that's us. So I got a new um, tarot deck. A not the, dirty hippie, naked hippie one? Well, it's a the Renaissance tarot deck. I don't have it with me this time, so I can't tell you who made it or anything, but it's definitely not naked, dirty hippies. It's still naked though. Yeah, just you you, you with uh surgic like precision. Found the other naked deck on the order list. It's true. Good going, Basil. And this time it's all artwork. It's nice yeah, artwork. It's much more tastefully done. It's good. But so I've learned that obviously the tarot is telling me something that naked people are in my life. So ladies, help me realize this future. I don't know where you're going with this, Basil. OSMcast at gmail dot com. <laughs> well, uh, now that we've been creepy for a little while. Well, now you made it creepy. Well, yeah. Look, you would have gotten some, too. I don't want any. I've Are got you some. sure? Oh, you're always looking for pictures. You're looking for way more pictures than I ever will. That's true. Like, don't even start. I mean, even nobody looks for more pictures of boobs or things that involve boobs in it than I do. Hey, I look for tentacles. That's different from looking for boobs. And you're calling me creepy. Yeah, really. Okay. <laughs> Hi, folks. Welcome to the Awesome Cast, your family podcast that... Everyone can enjoy together. Bring the kids, just like in Speed Racer. But you still need to go see guys. Yeah, you should be seeing Speed Racer. Please give it the money. It's so richly, spitly deserved. I don't know that it deserves it, but it's definitely something that uh, nerds will like. It's definitely something that's only going to be good in theaters. Like, I don't think my sister should have seen Speed Racer, but I definitely benefited from it. One car flipping another car, flipping over another car, then punching a Viking in the face. Is a matter of human achievement. We're talking like Nobel Peace Prize. Peace you know, Prize for punching a Viking? It brought peace to the Viking. Anyway, I think it's time for the World of Awesome. So, this week in the World of Awesome, I have found a couple of things, actually. Number one is that Harmonix announced a... Uh, a deal with uh, Q3 Entertainment? It's either Q3 or Q question mark entertainment. Q question mark entertainment. I don't know. Q something entertainment uh, to create Rock Band Japan, uh, which will not just be a straight bring over of Rock Band from America, but will in fact use Japanese music and Japanese talent for it, including Japanese download content. Q Entertainment made things like Res. Res, Luminis. Yeah, Luminis. Um, Every Extend Extra. Yeah. Extreme. You know, Mizuguchi, I believe his name is Mizuguchi, is the guy who, that's his studio. He, They're the best guys in combining music and gameplay in a totally way that you wouldn't think would be awesome, but totally is. And and this is this is actually really fun for uh, both me and Choco, because literally, I can remember when Rockman first came out, and Basil here was like, what we need is a Japanese version with a bunch of J-Rock on it. And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome, but we'll never get that. 
Well, you know what, folks? We are. Now, we don't know anything about what, what songs are going to be there. Yeah, no songs, no artists. Whether it's going to be region locked or not. When it'll be created, if we'll get Japanese download content in America. Just the contract's been signed. We, we know that there will be somewhere in the world, eventually, a Japanese version of Rock Band. And that's cool enough for me for now, for the World of Awesome. Agreed. And uh, the other thing I found this week if, uh, is the uh, Harry Dresden comics, uh, which actually came out last month. But I haven't had a chance to pick them up because my comic book store didn't drop the first issue in my box, and I didn't want to read them until the second issue came out. Now you know that my now that you know my life story, and they're really great. They're based on like the cracks in between the novels. Um, this one is a prequel to the first novel, Stormfront, and they're pretty well drawn and really well written. And if you like the Harry Justin novels, which are certainly awesome, you should definitely go check those out. Um, and not I don't know if this is awesome news or not. But, you know, straight on the heels of Tokyo Pop announcing their uh, Writer's Pact, or whatever it was, we're pretty much sign your whole work away for this really, really shiny nickel. It's made of wood. Tokyo Pop has announced a complete restructuring of their group. Just this month, I think it was this big announcement was like this past week, they announced that they'll be restructuring itself. They're going to form what's called the Tokyo Group, which will be the holding group for their subsidiaries. The existing Tokyo Pop operations in the U.S. are be split into two, Tokyo Pop Incorporated and Tokyo Pop Media. Tokyo Pop Incorporated will consist of the company's existing publications, you know, like their manga and whatever, and Tokyo Pop Media will focus on the company's digital stuff and their apparently comics-to-film works. Can um, we say American-made, Initial D, uh, with all the crunk rap music uh, made for DVD movie? I think almost as importantly, they're eliminating nine. Sorry, thirty-nine positions. Most of them are consisting of the design staff and, and editorial editor departments. Staff. And God knows Tokyo Pop has uh, editors to spare, right? Which tells me, guys who make comics, you guys and gals who make comics out there, Tokyo Pop just fired most of the people that were going to edit and design your stuff to be put out to be sold. Which means if they can't, if they're not willing to give money to those guys. And I'm pretty sure they liked them. Do you think they're really going to give you money for your stuff? No. As somebody who likes co- to do comic book work and draws a little bit myself, I really just want to like tell everybody who's thinking of going to Tokyo Pop as a publisher, there are really much better publishers out there. Uh, and you're actually far more likely to get your work published by them and to have more creative control. So... There are several like places where you can actually get your stuff like published, you know, online, where you can actually make get your own books made for probably decent. Amount. You will have to spend out of pocket, but they're not horribly expensive, and you can probably sell them at cons for a much better margin than what Tokyo Pop will give you. Yeah, an an independent publisher will actually treat you much better than Tokyo Pop will, and you'll have the material, and you can still sell. You'll probably sell as much at a convention as Tokyo Pop will selling your stuff in bookstores. Uh, people don't really pick up that many random Tokyo Pop books, as one might think. I mean, part of it's a shame. They're sort of the guys who pioneered the whole, you know, not-flop stuff. They were the guys who sort of, you know, they brought down the prices of manga. My manga used to be like 15 bucks 15 a pop. 15 bucks a biz back in the you know, one half days. You know, Tokyo Pop was the ones who took the initiative. They got a bunch of stuff. They put it out for 10 bucks a pop. They, they did it unflopped. Probably because it was probably easier to do it that way. It took less, you know, work to flop everything properly. But the upside is we got something that was 
they brought it back. They, they scaled it down to more Tonka Bond size. Like, uh, anybody remembers the old uh, Viz books? Like, the uh, Gunsmith Cats. The cat gigantic the Ronmas. Yeah, gigantic Ronmas, gigantic Gunsmith Cats, um, all that stuff. Well, oh my it's, god. It's, it's, I don't remember the exact date that this happened, but there's almost, like, you can almost just see that there was a, just a moment in Tokyo Pop's history where they went from being an awesome translating publisher to whatever it is they are right now. So maybe this is another shift for them. Possibly. Somewhere around volume 10 of GTO. <laughs> I was like, you know, it was, you know, about it maybe a year after they launched their authentic manga imprint that, you know, it occurred. But, oh well. Tokyo Pop obviously is still around. You know, corporations restructure all the time. Look at LucasArts. <laughs> God. Who, they just fired 100 people while they're restructuring. And so, you never know. Things will exist. But, that's okay. Because things are going to exist. They'll still do well. Hopefully. We lightsaber game! We lightsaber game. Yay for Obama. Yay for Obama! And now, our feature presentation. Picano. Like most anime out there, things like Slayers, Haruhi Suzumiya, Bakano actually started off as a light novel series and continues on as a light novel series. A light novels are like little, um, not quite novellas, but not quite novels. They're somewhere in between. Usually designed for like teenagers. Like a lot of the Slayers novels were, actually. Like, you know, our, I guess our cool things are stuff like back in the day Goosebumps and whatnot. Uh, choose Your Own Adventures. Ch- choose Your Adventures. You know, teen reading. Stuff that's not quite so heavy that you can, you know, whack people in the head with it. Encyclopedia Brown. But still, you know, a good, quick read. Yeah. Bacano was written by Ryogo Narita with illustrations by Katsuhami. It won a gold in the ninth uh, Degenki Novel Prize. And who knows what that is? But that's, prizes aside, the important thing, at least for us here, is that it was adapted to an anime by Aniplex and Brains Base into Bacano. And Bacano's really, really good. Jacuzzi Splot is my personal savior. Um, I thought uh, Mega Man was your personal savior. Well, Jacuzzi Splot has replaced him. I think the name sort of describes everything. Apparently, uh, Narita translates it for himself as stupid commotion. And that's sort of what it is. Um, he, he decided that a lot of it takes place in the 1930s uh, during the Prohibition. And so it's got, you know, mafia, mafia dons and also things like alchemists and demons. He had... Took much like you know the really good Indiana Jones films, they took a lot of it from Pulp Fiction, yeah, as, and sort of adapted it into his own wacky you know Japanese style. To me, it's almost like it's like they took a pieces of a puzzle and they sort of jumbled it all up, then laid it out, and then the director was sort of you know placing bits and pieces of the puzzle in because they took actually several novels, the first like five novels, 
a bunch of excerpts of that and made it into a series. And they play with time all the time. So you might start with one part, one episode, starting in 1931. Then they'll shoot back to 1930. Then might jump up to 1932. Then jump back to 1931. Let's explain how that uh, we can do that with uh, with all these characters. Yeah, there's a crap ton of characters. Like, I think a crap ton would be appropriate. Isn't there something like 13 named characters in the opening, but if you're actually watching the opening, you'll see that there are several other named characters that appear walking by in the background who are important and are very well developed characters that are important to the plot. They just didn't bother to get them a name in the title. Yeah, not only does it take place at various time periods, within those time periods it also takes place by all these characters' perspectives. The beginning episode is actually... um, there's sort of a information laundering organization that is covering as a newspaper organization, um, and the editor is actually actually literally trying to put together the story. And the, there's the question of who is the main character of this of this story, and it starts out going, it could be this person, it could be this person, it could be this person. And in the end, they decide that there is no main character. There's just a bunch of characters. A whole fuck ton of characters. A lot of characters. See, I I thought it was crap ton. I was wrong. No, it's fuck ton. It's crap ton to you, but nobody's metal, so it's fuck ton. (laughs) Much like I like always compare it to Final Fantasy VI, so I feel that in Final Fantasy VI there was no one main character. It was everyone together put forth an effort, and it was... Here we go again. Everything's Final Fantasy VI. The Bible is Final Fantasy VI. Well, the Bible is Final Fantasy VI. No, because as we all determined, apparently, well, no, we determined, you know, Jacuzzi Sploit is the savior. He is. Or at least... Her savior. It's... it's Splitifarian? We... I, I like a... I like a savior that's not afraid to cry constantly all the time. for any particular reason. Because when it comes out to it, he doesn't need when he needs to not cry. No more tears. Well, Jacuzzi Splot's kind of like a deer that's stuck in a that's stuck in, you know, a corner. You know, it's a shy, timid little deer until it gets cornered, and then it's a fucking deer with horns. <laughs> well, it's true. And so, for much this entire story arc, which uh, mostly takes place on the uh, in, uh, in trans. American ra- Railroad. Yeah, the Railroad. The, the Flying Pussyfoot. Yes, is the name of that the train. The fucking Japs again with their weird name. It's a sign that whoever really wrote this didn't really speak English. But okay. <laughs> but sure, go ahead. We'll, but, we'll accept that. Abuse our language as you would, Japan. The we har- abuse theirs. Oh, yeah. The heart was in the right place, Desu. Desu. <laughs> Desu, Desu. You know, Desu loses to Gozamas. Was it Gozamas? Damn it! Damn you, 4chan! You stuck a joke in my head I can't use. Anyway. Get me a beer, Desu. Okay, enough with this crappy weeaboo Desu crap. <laughs> Desu. <laughs> oh. Back to Bacana, The general Desu. plot is that there are these guys who want to take over a train. There's these other guys who want to take over a train. And there's these other guys who would wish they would leave them the hell alone. Because they just want to ride the damn train. But well, there's also the other guys that want everybody to leave them alone so that they can rob the damn rob train. Rob the damn train. And the other people who really don't care who sees them, they're going to rob the train anyways. It's Murder on the Orient Express and, with a ton of immortals. Oh yeah, and, and, and half of them are immortal, thanks to an elixir. Not uh, really half of them, it's more like certain key members just happen to be immortals. 
and can eat other mortals. Okay, so we're going to spoil territory, so just so you know, there's there's immortals. Oh, wait, was I supposed to say there's immortals? Well, it's kind of hard because immortals are kind of important to the whole plot. Yeah, like the whole, like so, half the plot was immortals. In I fact, mean. when I first watched the first episode, I checked Wikipedia and I was like, immortals, 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 immortals. So, hey, there's immortals. And the yeah. And, you know, so, so some people can be killed, some people can't be killed, blood everywhere. And again, it's, like I said, it's much like a puzzle where you get all these individual pieces of scenes, but they're arranged such that you start, you start pretty soon seeing how they all link together. And eventually, when you end the series, you see the entire puzzle, and all you see is awesome. Pure wind. It's like, oh shit, that's an awesome puzzle. You ever know those things where, like, you'll, like, go to your grandmother's house and there'll be a bag that's puzzle pieces and then yes, you're not sure when to start? I, I have, in fact, done puzzles before. Oh, man. A jigsaw puzzle? I've never done that before. Tell me what it's like, Basil. Please, tell me more. Desu. It's like Bacano. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys. <laughs> but one of the most important things about the... And really, all the guy really wanted to do was have crazy spiraling out action that's crazier and crazier and crazier with really dynamic characters and dynamic scenes and a cool story to make it all blend together. And the characters make this show. They really do. Like I think I don't, I don't know if we said it earlier or not, but the entire opening sequence is just most of the main characters and their names. So you remember who they are. Because there's so many of them, you got to do it to keep track. Yeah. It's not as bad as some animes where you have to keep, like, a scorecard to keep who's alive to who. They make it pretty obvious who's in cahoots with who else. Let's go to the flow chart for this one. <laughs> or we could actually just go down the list and of the characters and just talk about them. And that'll probably be enough of the podcast just okay. by itself. Okay, let's do it. The first, Actually, two of the first characters you sort of meet are Isaac and Miria. They're two crazy goofball villains. Not villains. Thieves. Happy thieves. Lupin the Third thieves. Who will dress up in costumes, outrageous costumes. Like, they'll go as a Halloween guy and Santa Claus to go rob a bank of candy... Uh, not a bank, but a candy store of candy so they can later on give it to little children. Yes. Because candy rots teeth, and so it's really for the benefit of these children that they're stealing the candy so they can't purchase it and won't rot their teeth. It, it's this similar thinking that they do most things. Like, they rob from a museum, and they do an actually pretty impressive robbery. It's just that all they stole was the museum door. Yeah. Yeah, they thought the door was cool, so they took it. I think there's only actually one account of them stealing, like, something that's actually worth something from somebody, and that was when they stole a lot of money from another character in the series, but she actually said it was okay. Even though she didn't realize that she said it was okay. Yeah. She didn't quite grasp what they were actually doing. And it's things like their crazy antics that will constantly show up at key points of the story, and you realize that wow, you thought that they were stupid, but they're stupid and essential. They're incredibly lucky is what they are. I kind of think that if you had to, like, not in terms of the books, but in terms of just the anime series, that if you had to, like, point a gun and say, okay, who's the main character, it would probably be these two people. Just by 
they kind of string everything together, and they're they're always there, and all the thread lines they're somewhere around. They said sometimes they're just there, and sometimes they're the ones that push sort of the the thread through the needle to keep it going. Yeah. And then the next set are sort of the Gandor group, which is one of the mafia families. Uh, we start with they're the, the good mafia family, though, aren't they? Yes, yeah, so the good Gan- as, as good as the mafia family yeah, can be. They're the Gandors. And next one on the list is Firo. He was actually, uh, in the opening, you've got sort of, I think, was it was it the Daily Days editor-in-chief? Yes. Was, who was talking to his assistant, mm-hmm. Carol. You'll hear the name Carol a lot in the opening episode. And he was asking her, who the main character? And she sort of mentioned Firo, because Firo was cute and seemed kind of main character-ish. He does. In any other anime, he might have been the main character. He but unfortunately was here. just in this one. <laughs> Like he's he's sort of a member he's he's a up and coming member of the mafia he's about to become one of the sworn members and uh, he's a good fighter you know just it's more a pretty good soul yeah and then you got one of the other guys who are is more a little more important you got Miza he's your glasses smart book studied guy he's he, also an immortal yeah he's one of the, one of the he's in fact the immortal that figured out the uh, the formula to become immortal yeah. He's kind of the one that started all the shit. And then the list has a bunch of Gandors, like Keith Gandor and Berga Gandor and Luck Gandor. To be honest, I don't know how these people got named got named in the opening, but Rail Tracer didn't get named. Well, it's true. Well, well Luck is pretty important. Well, Luck is pretty Luck's important. Luck's kind of the guy in charge. Yeah, but his two brothers just kind of stand behind him while Luck does everything. Yes. But... Maybe they're more important than the books, and I just don't realize it. It's true, but the next one on the list is important. Salars Quates. He's ostensibly the bad guy. Evil. Like, well, one of the bad guys. Evil. Yeah. He's the main bad guy in the Mafia arc. Evil. Well, he's pretty much the main bad guy in the Alchemist arc, too, isn't he? Well, yes, yeah, so that's sort of the same arc. Like, oh, okay. The, the Flying Pussyfoot arc is one thing okay. where they're trying to get to, was it Chicago or New York? They're, they're coming from Chicago to New to York. New York. And he's sort of the main bad guy once you're in New York, but he's not involved in the actual train getting to New York. No. Well, he's he's already... No, he's a, he's the bad guy in Chicago. He actually dies in Chicago before, uh, before the flying pussyfoot even leaves. But because of the way the show is set up, you know, that doesn't happen until near the end. Do we have to say flying pussyfoot yes. every time we say it? It's what the goddamn now. train is called. It's what I'm going to goddamn call it. In case you didn't know... Eric did get nobody a beer desu, and it's starting to show. You like my goddamn beer. God damn it. So what kind of beer is it? Oh, uh, it's a, I drink Sam Adams Light. It's pretty awesome for a light beer, you know, but again, I reiterate for a light beer. If you're going to actually get a, a good beer, I don't know, Old Town Coffee Shop, not Old Town Coffee Shop, but Old Town Brewery which is the local brewery that was here, burnt down, and that's that was the best beer that could be gotten, but it's not there anymore. Didn't they bring it back? Yeah, they brought it back. They did? Yeah, oh yeah, ages ago, actually. A couple. That, why am I still buying this crap? Next up on the list... Next up on the list... ...is Ennis. She's a cool character, even though she technically starts off working for Slizard, or Silizard, or how are you pronounce a damn old man's name? You got me now saying damn now. Silizard. Is how it's pronounced. Blah, blah, blah. Listen, but, 
you say it like this: Sell a lizard. Say now, say it faster. Sell lizard. I, I sure I'm about to want to say salamander, but that's a Pokemon. Yeah, that's no. That's, that's Charmander. Right. Salamander's an animal. <laughs> Very good, Basil. <laughs> you figured it out. You won the prize. But and this is cool. She sort of she starts off as the du- old dude's henchman, and she's sort of a cre- she's a creation of his apparently. A homunculus. Not like creepy Full Metal Alchemist homunculus. More like actual homunculus, but instead of being a twisted, gnarled, like baby thing, she's a cute girl. Yeah, she's you know a, she looks like a normal human being. Uh, apparently, she's not his first creation, but she's a, his latest creation, and she's cool. You meet her, and she does plot things. She, uh, I think it's the love that Firo actually feels for her that causes her to gain emotions and her interaction with the other two. And apparently Claire Stanfield actually apparently is in the opening. He's just known as he's just later known as Vino. He is Rail Tracer. He is in the opening? Yeah, apparently. No, he's not in the opening. Oh uh, well he's in the I list. Deci- decidedly remember going, hey He's not in the opening. Look, I got this list from Wikipedia. It says main characters in credits in credits order, so someone thought he was in the It could be in the it could be in the end credits order, because he is in the end credits. It's true. And also remember Wikipedia is, you know, the encyclopedia that anybody can edit. But yeah, he is a very, very important main character. Uh Rail Tracer is this myth and legend in the in the series that that there's this monster that follows behind railroads and eats them up, starting from the back car going to the front car. And it's, and the way to summon Rail Tracer is, oddly enough, to tell the story about Rail Tracer while riding on the railroad. And so that scares Jacuzzi Splot into running back to tell the conductor about this. The conductor is, unfortunately, this character, Claire Stanfield, also known as Vino, who is, in fact, the mass murderer Rail Tracer. And yet, for a mass murderer, he's a really likable guy. Well, he he believes he's God. He believes that he basically has created the world, and therefore he can't die, because if he died, the world would stop existing. Now, he's not actually one of the immortal characters, but I'll be damned if anybody tries to put that to the test. And his the guy he mostly faces off with is this guy named Vlad Russo. Vlad's a character. The... There's a, one episode in particular that brings out Lad's personality. It focuses on him a little bit more than the other characters. It still focuses on all the characters, but he's just in the spotlight just a little bit more. And that episode is entitled, Lad Russo Likes to Kill and Likes to Talk. Oh god, I did not realize how much that character talks until that episode. I went back and watched the episodes before that one and discovered that, yes, he does talk. A lot. Constantly. He never shuts up. Ever. And, and he likes to kill. In fact, he's well, he's the main killer for the hitman for the Russo family because they have to do something with him. And he's very good at it. And he pretty much decides, I think, his whole purpose on getting on the train was just to kill a lot of people. Yeah, he just boarded the train just just to have a killing spree. Uh, his kind of like his fetish is that he really likes to kill people who feel absolutely safe and secure. He winds up killing one of the immortal characters just because you know the character's smiling at him, so sure of himself. So he teaches him a lesson and kills him. 
he then walks off and doesn't see the, recharac- the that character forming, but it's also why he and Vino face off so badly. You, as said, Vino's convinced that he's the center of the universe, and Lad Russo really wants to prove him wrong. He doesn't. He hates guys who are, who are cockier than he is. And he's pretty damn cocky. He also has a fiance named Lua, who is sort of around. She's sort of there to almost to be a damsel in distress, but she's never really in distress. Well, I she's described as being a masochist, but to me it just looked like she was crazy psycho-depressed because she was hanging around Lad Russo because she wanted Lad Russo to kill her. And he keeps promising her throughout the show that oh, I'm going to kill you, and they talk to each other about him murdering her as if it's some sort of romantic spiel. Yeah. Apparently for them, it is. Because he's she's going to be the last person he kills, ever. For as much as, uh, for as much as Lad Russo talks, Lua doesn't talk. Like, I think she gasps. I think her one line in the series is to call out Lad's name. Now, what's interesting is that as much as she's sort of a counterpart to Lad, in a sense, another character is sort of a counterpart to the Rail Tracer guy, and that's Shawnee. Shawnee is a do- is the daughter of another immortal named Huey. And he's currently in prison, for whatever reason, and she's a part of a group who's decided to take a governor who's on the Flying Pussyfoot hostage in exchange for the release of Huey. And her, one of the great things is that she's also mute. And since she's sort of involved in Rail Tracer and also doesn't talk, but Rail Tracer talks a lot too, it's sort of a neat counterpoint, I thought. Rail Tracer doesn't talk as much as Lad. He just has crazy lectures. It's slightly different. Yes, but he does lecture a lot. Oh, yes, he does lecture a lot. And she's really neat. You really, really get to know her, actually, during the epilogue. Uh, during the, um, the show was... The show was 13 episodes. It was 13 episodes... And then during the D release of Japan, they released three more episodes. And those three episodes are actual honest to God episodes of Bacana. They continue on the story in a sort of a three part epilogue. Yeah, they kind of uh, three part epilogue it kind of um is a it kind of is a small story arc that happens in the books, just they didn't have room for it in the anime. Which they fit in, but it actually does feel as a very good tail end to mm-hmm. to the events of the anime. It also ends actually introducing up a, a totally brand new character that we never saw before named uh, Graham Spector. And he's actually my favorite character of the entire show. And he's only in three episodes. He, he's another guy who likes to talk a lot. He almost talks as much as, or possibly more so than Lad. But he's sort of a combination because he also talks in long speeches about nature of the universe and how everything's sad. It's suddenly happy because everything's always happy. He idolizes Lad Russo, by the way. He works for the same, yeah, he, the he, same mafia group. I think you know he just works under Lad. Oh, well. I, I think cause he constantly refers to Lad as Anaki, mm-hmm. as older brother, mm-hmm. and I think he sort of sees him as his, as his idol. Yeah. And I think if Lad was a part of a different group, he'd be part of that group too. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like he's not like mafia family. He's just like mafia lackey. As much as Lad likes to kill things. Graham likes to beat things with a giant wrench. He works as a mechanic, specifically so that he can repair things, so he can beat them again. Yes, he likes to disassemble things, just to reassemble them, so he can disassemble them later. And he's great. But, and he's sort of the central bad guy, as it were, of the epilogue. 
he uh, at one point summon he at one point summons uh, Jacuzzi Sploth and his gang, and he tells Jacuzzi to come alone, or else he's gonna you know kill the girl. And so Jacuzzi does. He valiantly rushes forward alone, and he you know sacrifices himself, saying, "Oh, I have a huge bounty on my head. You can turn me in to get the money. Just let her go. Do whatever you want to me." Uh, and around about this point, Jacuzzi's gang starts to show up. Before that. It was so he was so touching for, for Graham that he stopped fighting, and was like, "I don't know what to do. You touched my heart. Maybe I'll just let y'all go, because you touched my heart that much." <laughs> yeah, Jacuzzi Splot's my personal savior. Uh, but Which anyhow, is- so his so his gang shows up at that point, and uh, that starts to make that starts to make uh, what's his name, new character Graham. Yeah, that starts to make Graham real upset. And he starts to go, hey, I told you to come alone. And one by one, the members of, of Jacuzzi's gang start to go, well, I came here alone. Yeah, I came here alone, too. Uh, and sort of have a I am one of those moments. Uh, yeah, I am Spartacus. Yeah, I am Spartacus. They kind of have one of those moments. And the best part is, is that rather than getting angry or upset or anything, Graham Spectre just goes, Oh, well, I guess you abided by the rules then. Okay, so carry on. He's definitely got his own weird code of honor, you know, code of ethics. And at the end at the end of the thing, you know, Jacuzzi's like, Was he a bad guy or a good guy? And his partner in crime, Niece, was like, Does it really matter? Oh, I love Niece. And that's actually who we're about to talk about now. Um, there are two groups of thieves Yes. in the show. We talked about Isaac and Miria. The, we don't care if anybody sees us thieves. And then the actual thieves, which is Jacuzzi and, and Nisa's gang. I think they are actually a gang of bootleggers, and I think they were just stealing... Yeah. Were they just stealing uh, hidden, hidden goods on the train, or were they stealing guns? I think they were stealing hidden goods. I could be wrong, but they were there to steal something. Yeah. And so, and they're they're an interesting little group, and it, it really focuses around Jacuzzi and Nice. Nice is sort of a is a sort of a burn victim. She's got scars all over her face and stuff. Yeah, and because she really likes bombs, she really likes bombs. She Orgasmically likes, so. Like blowing things up. Like you ever uh, meet up? Was it Minnie May and Gunsmith Cats? Sort of like an older version of her. Yeah, with, yeah, with, I can with, see that. With burn scars, which is even more awesome. Well, I, I can't really add anything other than just she's she's real awesome. I want to be like her, and I plan on dressing up like her at the next convention I attend. And you know, there and her and Jacuzzi make a really team. There, it's interesting that much like um, Isaac and Miria are in both bits, the you know the train arc and the mafia arc. So are in some in some spots, they've got um, then uh, names edit out my stumbling. They really just in the in the Mafia Chicago arc, they only really focus on Jacuzzi and uh and Nice just to kind of point and go, oh, here are these characters' origins. Nice and Jacuzzi really dominate the train part of the story. Yeah, a lot. But, but you know, there's the past arc, there's the Chicago arc going on, there's the train arc, so they're kind of the main characters of the train arc, but there's so much going on that you can't yeah. really say they're the main characters. The main focus of the train arc is sort of this four-way tussle between Shawnee's group, who are all dressed in black, who are trying to, you know, take a train to 
kidnap the governor, Lad's group, who are all dressed in white, who are trying to kill everybody because that's fun. And then you've got, you know, I think Jacuzzi's point, group trying to steal things. I think at one point Jacuzzi's group uh, busts into a cabin that's been taken over by the black group. They take out the guys in the black group, and then uh, they inform... They inform the hostages that they have now taken over this part of the train, and then proceed to arm the hostages. Yes. And then later on, meet the white guys, the Arlads group, to tell them who the black people, that the black guys are there doing this thing too, which takes light off because somebody else is trying to kill people on his train, where he was going to kill people? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how Lad rolls. So it it just seems like that, a consequence of like... Where, Everyone constantly bumps into people here and there. It's almost like watching a bar fight in anime form. It's a giant bar fight. It's a bar fight that stretches an entire train. It's a bar fight that stretches across, you know, years and centuries. So you're starting to see how the name is really applicable. Like, you know, it's like it's all about the characters. They bump, they meet, they fight, they become friends, they become enemies. It's, it's, a, constant, it's a constant ruckus. It's a bunch of stupid commotion. But, so who else we got that we haven't talked about yet? The last, uh, last three sets, th- three, there's two, really two sets of characters. Uh-huh. There's Eve and Dallas. Oh. The Generards. Yeah. Um, they're another mafia family. And they're sort of important because they sort of involve themselves well, with... The main Chicago conflict almost seems to be relating to Eve and, and Jenna, to Eve and her brother. Yeah, well, the two main conflicts are the Genoards dealing with, you know, Dallas has gone missing because Dallas is a jerkwad. Yeah, Dallas is, is bad people. And then you also have the sort of the alchemist arc. Yeah. But yeah. Dallas is one of the people that are is also a part of the alchemist arc. So it's sort of, again, it's one of those weird multiple things where they sort of tie into each other. Dallas, and split off in weird ways. Dallas unwittingly drank an unfinished portion of the elixir, so he's kind of immortal. He uh, He's still going to age and grow old and eventually die that way, but he's not going to die of just, like, getting shot or getting cut, which is much to his chagrin later on. And so a lot of things is Eve's now looking for Dallas because he's, at some point, he has gotten, he's gone missing, and a good bit of the story is, what happened to Dallas? What'd you find at the end? And then the last character we have on the main character list is uh, Cheswell Meyer. And he's one of the original mortals. He's also was a little kid when he drank the potion. So he's still a little kid, despite the fact that he's... How old is he? 400? What? Something like that. But he, he looks like he's like 10. Yeah. He, he constantly tests to see if the other people around him are immortals... By lying and saying that his name is something different, because there's something about... Yeah, immortals have to tell each other their original name. Like, they have to. Like, they can't not do it. So it's sort of a way that you can tell if another person's immortal is you give them a fake name. If they accept it, obviously they're not immortal. Because you actually can't even say another name. You have to say your name. You're compelled to. It's one of the rules. Yeah. Uh, and since we're accepting that there are mortals, we also can accept that there are rules to it like that. It was it was a pact made with a demon. Demons are weird like that. Yeah. Go figure. But, uh, but... And he's constantly scared because he's an old, one of the other mortals who he thought was his friend, eventually decided to torture him horribly 
Yeah. And then almost tried to eat him. Yeah, he decided to just, you know, test and see. He didn't try to eat Chez. It's just that he kept testing to see what the limits of the immortality were. And so this basically meant that this 10-year-old boy is strapped to a bed and had who horrible knows how things long. done to him. Like, had, like, his skin burnt and poked and prodded and... And all sorts of horrible things. Of course, he heals everything because they're immortal. Yeah. Now, the immortality does not take away the pain of this at all. Yeah. And so, after several years of lying in the bed, Jez uh, manages to manages to break free and eat his, and eat his uh, his other immortal friend, and then he escapes. Apparently, on the flying pussyfoot, where he thinks he's going to go meet the people in New York. And take over the other immortals, but by the course of the train, he decides yeah. not to. One of the things that also be immortal is sort of like in Highlander, you can destroy another immortal and take their knowledge and power, as it were. And you do this by placing your hand, uh, one either right hand or left hand. It's on, the right hand. Right hand on the forehead and decide that you want to eat. And you sort of suck up their body whole and you gain their knowledge and all their experiences. And so I guess... Since he ate his friend and gained all that, he also probably gained all that joy and stuff of him experimenting on himself. That's got to be freaking horrible. Yeah. Uh, it was not... He, he's very... When you first meet him, you're not too sympathetic towards him. It's more as you figure things out that he becomes a real sympathetic character. Yeah. But I think you've now understood just exactly how crazy, how chaotic... It's effed up. It's an effed up, crazy, chaotic show, but really, it's a lot of fun to watch, because you're never sure what's going to happen next. You're really never sure what's going to happen next, because you're never sure what decade, or year, or location that's next. Of course, Isaac and Maria, in the 1930s, when, it's, as it turns out, Miza, who was the guy who originally came up with the potion, he wound up joining a... He wound up joining an Italian mafia that was actually based out of Sicily. And he wound up sharing his immortality potion with them. So he gave the Gondors the ability to be immortal. And he wound up giving Firo the ability. And just as coincidence and luck would have it, Isaac and Miria had just happened to make friends at, with those people right you know, when Firo... Actually, what happened was they had stolen the bottles from Slazard. And Firo had just got inducted into the Mafia. And they had this this wine they were carrying with them. Oh, that's right. And that's so they right, you are right. They were going to share it. So everyone had a big party where everyone drunk this wine. Which made you immortal. Now, Firo figured out, oh, hey, I'm immortal now. Pretty quickly. Uh, the Gondors figured out pretty quickly, oh, hey, we're immortal. Basically, everyone who attended the party figured it out real quick, as a lot of shit went down immediately afterwards. Uh, except for Isaac and Maria. As it turns out, this happened in the 1930s. It cuts to the 1970s, where Isaac and Miria are talking about how they're going to steal cell phones from people to restore family values, because families talk too much on their cell phones and not enough to each other now. Yes, I know, cell phones in the 1970s, but give it a break. So they've stolen all these cell phones. And then they look, turn and look at each other, and realize that they haven't seemed to gotten older. I don't think even then they figured out they were immortal. They just thought it was a miracle. 
And obviously it must, I think, be their birthday. Yes, yes. They figured it must be their birthday. Every day. Yeah, that's just the kind of, that's just how they roll. That's just, that's who they are. God, I love them. There's so many times where a character will feel down or they weren't, weren't quite sure what to do with their life. And then they'll show up. And they'll say something completely incoherent that somehow is totally applicable to what the characters were going through right then. And will lead them on the path of awesome and win. And they'll charge forth and do awesome and win things. Yes. Because in the end, Bacano is awesome. And full of win. So, Bacano, how awesome? I thought it was very awesome. See, yeah. I think it was a fuck ton of awesome. It's kind of interesting. In the last episode, they actually bring back the editor of the Daily Days with this with Carol. Mm-hmm. And he asks her, what, what was the end of the story? Mm-hmm. And she goes, you know? She keeps got the answer. He's like, no, no, no. And then she eventually realizes, the story never ends. And he's like, that's right. The story never ends. And so I think, because, you know, it's, it doesn't really have a beginning. It doesn't really have an ending. It just keeps going. And it keeps being Picano. Kind of like a massive train. Yes. And so I think Picano is awesome. That never ends. So that's I guess. deep. That's way too deep for me. Fuck a bunch of noise! <laughs> Dun dun, pecan opening. Dun dun, pecan opening. Dun dun, pecan. That was weird. That's very weird. Hi, folks. Now, 
<laughs> this has been the Awesome Cast. If you want to learn more about us, or if you liked us, check us out on the web at osmcast.com and leave a message or comment in the comment section. Awesome Cast. So awesome, only three letters can contain it. Or you can leave us an email at osmcast at gmail.com. Or you can send us a voicemail at the Awesome Line. Area code 206-426-5063. Bye-bye.